Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. I'm delighted to welcome to our show today Simon Alexander-Ong. He's an award-winning life and executive coach keynote speaker and author of the book Energize. But before we get a chance to speak with Simon, it's the Leadership Hacker News. What would you do with an extra two hours a week? Just two. Now imagine if you could even create more free time. Here's an equation I want you to think about. Structure plus discipline equals freedom. Do you believe that to be true? The reality is, by giving us disciplines within a structure, creates capacity for us to do other things. But if we get caught up in the moment, here's a few tech hacks that will help us unlock capacity. Set up email filters. In a perfect world, we'd only have emails hit our inbox for those that we really needed. The reality is our inbox gets inundated with emails not only internally, but from marketeers and those who choose to spam us, given the fact we don't already have enough, right? You can set up rules that help you filter emails. There's software out there as well, but your firm will probably just let you use the one that you're used to use. But most email service providers let you automatically create labels, filters, and folders. And rule of mine, as well on my vacation, CC into the delete box. And only if it's resent as a main message, I'd read it. Asynchronous and automatic meetings. Now asynchronous meetings means that you don't have meetings per se, but you use other mediums to communicate through Teams or Zoom or Slack or whatever it is you use. Collectively, the stuff still gets done, but in a more flexible way. Other ways, of course, is using automation. And according to a recent survey by Dalpad, 83% of professionals spend between at least four to 12 hours in back-to-back meetings. And in my experience, I'd love it to be so few. To help you, you can use automated meeting calendars and you can ask your teams to work with that calendaring system. Also, just create space and blocks so that others don't take advantage of your open calendar system. For those of you a little late adopters to computers talk to type functions, you might want to take a look. Speech recognition software can really speed up how you take notes, prepare meetings, and you can even use your computer's talk to type function to dictate emails or other documents or even play emails back to you in voice while you're walking the dog or you're in between meetings. And while voice recognition software has come a long way, it's not perfect. So you'll need to make sure that you use it in the right way and double check it, particularly if you're gonna publish to anywhere. And in the hybrid world we're in, this is not necessarily a tech hack, but a hack it is nonetheless. Let somebody else do the cooking. If you're working from home, weekday meals can take up a lot of time including the planning, shopping, preparing, cooking. And if you find yourself running late or nipping to the store, by the time you've got your produce back and you cut your vegetables, 
you might already have wasted another hour. You can use lots of pre-cooked meals or boxed meals to help you become more efficient in the way that you work and the way that you prepare your dinners. Our greatest commodity is time, and once we spend our time we can't get it back. As of today, 48% of people say that they don't have enough time to do what they want. So take control of some of the technology and some of the innovation that is around us and give it a try. Remember, there's a bit of learning here. So you'll have to spend some time figuring out what works and what doesn't work for you. For that reason, look for apps and look for other technologies that support you in your approach to being awesome. So get out there and have a go. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. Don't forget, you can always share your ideas and things that you want us to talk about on the show by contacting us through our social media. Simon Alexander Ong is our special guest on today's show. He's a personal growth entrepreneur, coach and speaker. He's also the author of the book, Energize. Simon, welcome to the show, my friend. Steve, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to today and the whole subject of Energize is probably the most timely for everybody. All of that will become much more apparent as we dive into the themes. The tagline of the book, though, Simon, is make the most out of every moment. And that's exactly what I intend to do with you. So let's jump straight in and learn a little bit about Simon and your backstory and how you arrived doing what you're doing. Sure. So I, I was born here in the United Kingdom, Steve, to Malaysian parents, and I grew up with this mistaken belief that success was determined by my job title. Be a banker, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. And so my definition was limited to a few choices that I believed would make me successful. And it's interesting, isn't it? Those labels kind of set you off on a trajectory, didn't they? So you ended up in a career in banking and then before you knew it, you were doing something else, right? Definitely. I mean, I ended up going down the banking route at what was probably the worst possible time, Steve, because this this was in the middle of 2007. I had just graduated and and this was also a year before the financial crisis. And the first company I started was with Lehman Brothers. And so, as you know, that company uh, collapsed into administration in September 2008. And now while it was painful at the time i mean for anybody who's gone through a redundancy it, it, it is never a nice experience but at the same time in hindsight it was a blessing in disguise because it kick-started for me the journey to where i am today because it got me to question those beliefs that i had held for so long about whether they were really true and whether that was serving me or actually hurting me and, and so that was where my interest in, in the world of entrepreneurship started. Uh, and, and then it wasn't until 2012 that I really started to focus my energy uh, on what I now get to do today, which is to coach those in leadership positions, to speak at conferences and companies, and more recently, having finished writing my first book. It's those sliding door moments, isn't it, where, you know, in the face of adversity, you, you leave a job that you'd been primed to do all of your life to then find actually it was the sliding door that opened another path. Mm, mm. And, and it's interesting because when I, when I think about that sliding door and, and I guess many other sliding doors as well, it's that what I've come to understand is that those moments in which we feel at the time are setbacks or failures are actually the very moments that equip us with the wisdom to create the best moments of our life to step into a path that will completely transform what had come before. 
And how much of your growing up with that kind of real strong influence of your folks to say, right, you have to get yourself a, an academic career and get yourself into a role. How much of that kind of do you now still rely on, but in a different way? I, I think I rely a lot less now, obviously, because I, 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 I am not following those definitions now, but I think taking the, I guess, the human values from, from my parents, from my dad's side, I think it has definitely been the hard work element. Uh, my dad has always been very committed to what he does. Uh, and I think I've taken a lot of that on board. Uh, when I do something, I want to see it through to the end. Uh, I want to make sure I've given it my best shot. Uh, for my mom's side, uh, it has been the empathy. My my mom, when, uh, you know, before she gave birth to myself and my brother, she was a nurse. And she was very understanding about what other people were going through. And she was able to connect with others uh, in a very powerful way. And so I think I've taken some of that on board in, in the work that I do because coaching, speaking, they are very much a, a people business. And, and so when you engage with someone, it's, it's very important to have that level of emotional intelligence uh, to be able to relate to other people. So I think those are the values and those are the um, characteristics that I feel I've taken from from my family. Yeah, awesome. So then fast forward, you've now just published Energize, and I have to say it's a fantastic read. And most importantly, it's getting loads of coverage. And you must be really <laughs> pleased with it, how it's been launched. In fact, I go as far as to say every time I turn on my social media, there's you. And, <laughs> there's, and so, so you and your marketing team are doing a fantastic job, by the way. But um, homage to you for that. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Thank you so much. So I think when whenever you start a business, there are lots of roles that you have to take on board because you become your own financial officer, you become your own marketer, your own publicist, um, and, and so on. And I think when you run a business, you, you have a natural preference for certain activities more than others. And for me, because I've always enjoyed speaking, I've, I, I've grown up with social media, if you like, uh, when I was finishing university, I very much enjoyed the marketing side. So for me, in getting the book out to the world, once the marketing campaign kicked in, I was very much in my element, Steve, because I, I was looking at ways that we can we can take videos of the journey. Uh, I was looking at partnerships that we could create. I mean, we, we partnered with the Connaught Hotel to create a signature cocktail inspired by the book. Uh, we put together a video trailer uh, in the same way that movies do before the film is released in the cinema. And just last week, uh, we partnered with two companies uh, to host one of the world's first book launches in the metaverse. And so for me, that's what really gives me energy is to explore this, this creative side of my, uh, my brain, uh, especially when it's been around the book, which has also been a very important milestone for myself. Mm, indeed it has, yeah. So what was that defining moment then, Simon, when you thought, I've got something here, I need to kind of put pen to paper? <laughs> well, well, it's interesting because if I, if I look back at the, the book journey, Steve, I, I wasn't actually planning to write a book. I, I mean, in, in the middle of 2019, where I sat down and reflected on the first half of the year and started to plan for the second, writing a book was, was not on my top three or even top five priorities until towards the end of that year, I got approached by a boutique publisher and they asked if I was interested in writing a book. And I thought, well, it doesn't hurt to have a conversation. And so I went along, I had a coffee to, to hear what, they, they had in mind. 
And I came away from that conversation thinking, well, if I was to only write one book, would I be happy with what they were sharing um, and working with them? And the answer for me was no. I mean, I had a feeling inside of me that would regret if I didn't think bigger than where I was at the moment. And so I went away, Steve, and I started to reach out to the Penguins, the Simon Schuster, Harper Collins, Hay House, some of these big names in the publishing world. And out of the people I reached out to, Penguin was the only one that responded. And so in January 2020, we, we met up in person. And still at that point, I, I didn't know what I was going to write about because I didn't even know if I was going to get a book deal and if, if this was going to progress. And so after that conversation, they came back to me and said, Simon, we would like you to put a book proposal together. And I think that was the time that I started thinking about what this would be about, Steve. Yeah. And the book is called Energize, but at the time of submitting the proposal, the title I put as a working title was actually originally Energy is Everything. And the reason I put forward that title is because it spoke a lot to my own journey, but also to the fact that when I, when I study some of the most successful leaders in any industry, what I've often found is that they're not necessarily the smartest, the fastest or the strongest, but they are the best when it comes to managing and sustaining their level of energy because they know that you cannot show up as your best self if you're always feeling exhausted and drained. Yeah, and that cuts across every genre, whether it be business, sport. You look at those that are in peak performance of anything. Mm. It's how they manage their energy to get that optimum performance, right? Definitely, definitely. Because yeah. you, you, you have to realize that unless you manage your energy in a sustainable way, you're going to very quickly burn out. And if you want to achieve anything of you know, of, of, on a big scale, you are going to need a lot of energy. And so really understanding how to manage and optimize that will help you in the, in the long term. Yeah. And energy is everything. <laughs> and uh, there's no question. But let's dive into some of the themes within the books and our listeners will be dying to hear about them. Now, you've developed four key components, as I've called them. They're probably kind of big blocky chapters with lots of really great hacks and tools and tips within them and i thought it'd be really interesting just to be able to spin through them and maybe dive into a couple of those themes definitely so i i split the book into four parts part one awaken your power two rewire your energetic state three protect your personal energy and four supercharge your impact and the reason i i, I did that is because that takes the reader very much through the journey that i have been on um, as, as well as touching on important areas that I've learned over time that can really help us show up as our best selves. So in the first part, Awaken Your Power, this speaks a lot to the beginnings of my journey, uh, transitioning from a corporate world to the path of an entrepreneur and how you've got to have some baseline of energy before you can apply some of the knowledge, the strategies, the tips and the hacks that you that you may hear about. And for me, that always starts with our health. I mean, if there's anything that we've learned over the last couple of years, Steve, is that health really is the first wealth. Absolutely right, yeah. You may have lots of dreams, hopes, and wishes, but unless you're healthy, unless you're able to put those things into action, they will just remain a distant dream. Uh, a good way to think about it is this. A healthy person will have lots of things they want to do, the sick will only have one. 
and that is to get healthy again. And so once we've put in place uh, some healthy habits, once we've prioritized our health, then we've put a powerful foundation and platform to really build upon. And so that leads into the second part, which is rewire your energetic state, understanding that it is often the state that we're in that determines the actions, the choices, and the behaviors we take. And then the third part is protecting, because once you've got to uh, a point in which you have a lot of energy in your life, it's then a question of, well, how do I protect that? So I don't leak it away doing things that actually drain me of energy. Uh, And I think that can be very challenging for a lot of us, especially when we are ambitious or we, we have lots of things we want to do. We forget that creating boundaries to protect our time and breathe oxygen into the things that matter most just fall by the wayside. Yeah. And so we have to be aware and conscious of protecting our energy that is aligned to what we want to do in the long term. And the last part really speaks to legacy. You, you know, I think ultimately we all want to leave a good legacy behind. And so the final part, Supercharge Your Impact, inspires the readers on how they can go about doing so. So let's dive into a couple of things, because there was a few things as I read it that really pricked my conscious. The first one, ironically, was under your awakening your power you talk about how we can elevate our consciousness and be really in the presence and in the service of our thoughts tell us a little bit about what that really means and how as a leader i might do that sure so what that speaks to is the fact that you cannot have self-development without self-awareness because you simply can't change what you're not aware of and so by elevating our consciousness it's understanding the beginning of true wisdom is knowing ourselves, And that begins with our thoughts. So when I encourage readers to take up the practice of writing or journaling, what I'm really doing is getting them to better understand themselves because the activity of writing is the cheapest form of therapy. As you get to know yourself, your thoughts, your desires, your challenges, you get greater clarity and understanding on what to do next but most of us we keep all of that in our mind and we then download it onto paper that it can feel overwhelming yes right but when we can transfer that clutter from our brain onto paper what happens is that we're able to organize our thoughts in a way that opens up the path to knowing what the next step is and that's really quite a powerful thing to do, isn't it? And for those people who haven't yet experienced journaling, it does also take a bit of practice and a bit of discipline too, doesn't it? Definitely. And I think the key with, with, with any new practice, Steve, is not to pressure yourself on whether I'm doing it right or whether I'm doing it wrong, because there's no right way to journal. For some of us, we, we may need prompts. For others, we may just want to write down whatever comes to our mind. Uh, I mean, that's something that was encouraged by by julia cameron in in as as a concept of morning pages how do i just download whatever's on my mind and then i can filter through that after i put it onto paper so the key is as long as you're journaling however you're journaling that is the most important part so as we spin forward i've kind of raised my self-awareness now my power is definitely awake we often find ourselves bumping into what you call energetic blocks Mm. how would you describe that to, to our listeners so energetic blocks for me are things that stop you making progress towards where you want to be. And often those can be mental. Uh, to, to, give an, to give you a, uh, an example is that if you desire to achieve something, 
but your critic jumps in and says, you can't do that. It's too difficult. You're too old or you're too young. What's happening is that you have blocked your path of achieving what you want to do. You're setting up these obstacles, these blocks uh, that are going to prevent you from making progress. So once we understand the nature of, of how this works, of how energetic blocks will actually prevent us from making progress the way we want to be, we then have to understand how we can rewire the way our mind works so that actually those blocks will melt away and allow us to make the steps forward to where we want to be. And very often it simply begins with speaking to ourselves in the same way we would to someone we care about. Because even when we achieve something, Steve, what happens is the critic will still jump in. Right. You know, when you finish a marathon, despite despite finishing that challenge, your mind often doesn't focus on the fact you finish it. It says, well, I didn't get the time I wanted. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And what happens is that we're always focused on what we didn't do rather than what we yeah. did. The voice in the head is so powerful, isn't it, Simon? You know, the, mm -hmm. the one that we wake up with in the morning or it's the, the last voice we hear before we go to bed. And I often have shared before, you know, it's also going to be the last voice that we hear before we die. So this <laughs> voice has got to help us out. It's got to be an empowerer of us rather than a limiter, right? Totally, because the person, and, and you alluded to it, to it just now, Steve, the person you are going to speak to the most in your lifetime is yourself. And so words do have power. I mean, they have the ability to to serve a prison sentence to your potential or free and awaken it uh, to achieve and express its full creativity. I love that. I'm going to write that down. Prison sentence to your potential. That is, that's a belter. <laughs> I love that, Simon. So now we're managing to get around our blocks. What we often find is that we perhaps don't pay enough attention to our energy states and indeed where we get our energy from and how we manage that. And my favorite chapter in your book is managing your energy, not your time. Mm. because you you know you can't manage time time's going to manage us but we've got full yeah. control over our energy right definitely i mean when when we think about productivity a lot of us jump exclusively to managing our time better but the issue with that is that if we only focus on managing our time better we forget that our energy is not constant when we only focus on managing our time we mistakenly assume that our energy is uniform throughout the whole day when in fact it isn't and so if i'm opening up my calendar and i look at the afternoon and i go okay i'm going to block out four o'clock to five o'clock to go and do a workout i'm then going to tackle this big task at six o'clock what actually happens in reality is you never get around to doing so because on average our energy starts to decline as we move through the afternoon. And so what you're doing here is you're working against your energy rather than with it. And so once we start understanding our, our own energy rhythm, so for some of us, we may be early risers, others might be night owls, some of us might be energized in the afternoon, some of us might get uh, a slump in the afternoon. Once we understand those data points, what happens is that we can begin working with our energy and not against it. And so if you are an early riser, then it makes sense to tackle your most important task first thing in the morning. If you are night owl, then, then it makes sense to do some of that work at the end of the day. Yeah. But you won't know that until you understand at a deeper level uh, how your energy fluctuates throughout the day. And that's why a term that I use in the book, Steve, 
is being a better CEO, a chief energy officer. Yeah, exactly. And if you look back over the millennia, this has been written about by all sorts of different religions and gurus that energy Mm. as its key source is what's going to create your capability or your productivity. And uh, I know you quote quite a lot of different themes of energy in the book, including, you know, the Chinese chi. And that's very much kind of central to making sure that you are productive. Definitely. And, and, And that's why when you see somebody and we would have all come we would have, we would have all come across people like this you will notice that those who have high energy can get more done in days or weeks than many will get accomplished in months or even years right and that is because how they show up in the same hour that others show up is infinitely different and also i know that this isn't just about being on your game all of the time a key part of managing your energy is recovery and managing that energy flow too, isn't it? Indeed. I think what we're missing here, Steve, is the fact that we are very quick to schedule into our diary, work meetings, social events, and holiday plans, but not so quick in scheduling in me time. That's right. And and so just imagine if we were to schedule into our calendar me time as quickly as we do those other things. I think what then happens is that we start to prioritize those moments of intentional rest rather than just being on all the time because we can't be on all the time. We're not built to be on all the time. And so we do need those periods to reset, rejuvenate and recharge. Yeah. And one of the things under this part of the book I love as well as you call it how you can go about electrifying your environment. Mm. And tell us about that. I've gone through a number of experiences that really electrified my my environment, Steve. And so one of the messages I often share with clients and audiences is that the fastest way to make progress is to design an environment that makes it impossible not to succeed. And a lot of that comes down to how you are electrifying your environment. Because if you are in environments that simply electrify you, open your mind to new ideas, uh, elevates your thinking from big to astronomical, then what happens is that you have a constant supply of energy from that source. Now, your environment isn't just people you spend time with. It is also what you watch, what you listen to, who you follow on social media, your physical environment, your digital environment. All of these things act as a force and an influence on not only how you see yourself, but what you see as possible for your future. And we often don't realize that our environment has changed so much over the last 10 years. Mm. Some of the things like news media, TV and social media that's so accessible to us now Mm. if we're not really thoughtful about where we consume and indeed what we consume from those channels it can have a massive impact on energy can't it definitely and and that's why it goes back to the point of being aware Uh, you you know if we're not aware or consciously uh, aware of how our environment is influencing our behavior and our energy then what happens is that we simply become a victim to external events But when we begin to take responsibility for where we are and where we want to be, that's when we actually deepen our awareness of, are we spending time focusing on things we can control or we're focusing on things we can't? And for many of us, it tends to be on the latter. You also talk about the environment being broader than uh, what we just talked about and and indeed people as well, that you actually can infect and be infected positively and adversely by people's energy states too. Definitely. And and this is why uh, 
you know, being aware and curating your environment is so important because energy is neutral in the sense that it doesn't care if you're spending time around negative or positive sources. You simply become infected by whatever quality of energy you spend time with. So, of course, the more time you spend around negative sources of energy, in no time, you're going to feel very negative. Uh, and likewise, if you spend a lot of time around sources of energy that are positive, in no time, you're going to start feeling very positive. And this is why we have to be very careful about the energy that we expose ourselves to, because very quickly we become like the energy that we are associated with. You can't always visibly see this, but you can feel it. It's almost like a, I don't know how you describe it, but like a rate it radiates from people. You can physically get good vibes, bad vibes, call it what you like from people. And that draws people to people and it pushes them away, doesn't it? Definitely. I mean, there was an interesting study that I, I came across in the research for my book, Steve, that showed that young children, uh, especially those under the age of three or four, uh, actually understand this uh, in a way that we don't. So to give an example, under the age of three or four, uh, children are still learning to speak fluently. So often they, they still speak quite broken. But if they were to walk into a room in which a you know parents have had an argument, a child can sense that. And will react very differently to if the parents were very happy and uh, were showering the child with love. Because they can't articulate those things in words, but they do it through emotion and body language, uh, it's been shown that children actually can feel the energy of a room. It's fascinating, isn't it? In fact, I was chatting to uh, a future guest last week, mm -hmm. and they do leadership work with horses. Mm -hmm. And apparently horses can also feel energy from people in, in in a very similar way mm. and you know they've described taking leadership teams to to stables and the horses kind of spooking because they're not <laughs> particularly effective and conversely you know they you can see these animals physically manifest when there's a positive energy with this team mm. i find it really fascinating definitely even if we look at organizations i mean those in positions of leadership are like the thermostat of, of the energy field of an organization the leader is yeah. constantly emitting positive energy and vibes, then guess what? The people beneath him or her will feel exactly the same. And when they show up with yeah. uh, negative energy, of course, everybody around him or her will start feeling negative. And, and, and so that's the same thing when we think yeah. about organizations. And you close off your book with supercharging your impact. And ironically, the title of the book that you had planned was the last chapter of your book. <laughs> energy is everything. And how would you just kind of summarize the whole kind of energy and energy state? Sure. So to summarize, think, think, think of it this way for, for, for the listeners. You may call it chi. I mean, we've touched on that before. You, you may call it chi if you come from Chinese culture. Uh, if you come from Maori culture, you, you will probably call it mana. Or if you're a fan of the Star Wars film franchise, you will call it the force. Now, whatever we are referring to, it is the same thing, which is energy as a life force. And for me, once we start to tap into that uh, from a spiritual and emotional and mental uh, and a physical uh, perspective, we begin to not only unleash our, our deepest potential, but what happens is we actually start to contribute to a story that will positively influence all the lives of people that come into contact with us. And that, for me, is, is how we supercharge our impact. It's by understanding the relationship we have with our energy as a life force uh, and then to sharing that 
with other people so that they will be inspired to step out of the shadows of their own story and into the light of their hero potential. Love it. I think it's amazing. So we're going to share with our listeners at the end of the show how they can get a copy of the book and learn more about you. Before I do that, though, I'm going to just flip the, the lens a little and I'm going to hack into your great entrepreneurial and developmental brain and try and get you to distill all of that wise learnings and research into your top three leadership hacks, Simon. What would they be? Sure. So if I had to extract three leadership hacks, the first would be to ask for help. The second would be to help others. And the third uh, would be to diversify your inputs. Uh, and I'll just elaborate briefly on each one. So the first, ask for help, uh, simply taps into the concept that we never get to the top alone. And unless you are humble enough to embrace that eternal student mindset and to ask for help from other people, people that may be better than you in some respects uh, with regards to skills or knowledge or insights, then what happens is that you start to think more innovatively and creatively. So ask for help would be the first one. Second would be help others. Uh, you know, something I learned from one of my mentors, uh, a man called Bob Berg, who co-authored the book, The Go-Giver, is that the secret to success is giving. And that is because our value as a human on this planet is determined by how much more we have given to the world than we have taken from it. And I think that the more we can help others, the more that we can unleash other people's leadership potential, then what happens is that through that process, we are demonstrating leadership ourselves. Perfect example, of course, is when you give energy to people and you give the right attitude and environment, you get it back. I mean, this is, this is karma in action. Yeah. Uh, and the third one there is to diversify your inputs. And, and this is what I mean by diversify your, diversify your inputs. If you, if you only look at your competition, you can only be as good as your competition. And that immediately sets a bar to your growth because you're only using your competition as a benchmark. But once you open your mind to people from very different industries, from different walks of life, from different experiences you begin to awaken your creative potential. And this is how innovation is born. It's not born by looking at your competitors. It's born by looking at people outside of your industry and then bringing in the impact and influence of those inputs into your own so that you are seen as innovative. Uh, so to give an example, the idea for the cocktail to mark the launch of my book, Steve, that came about from being connected to the bartender at the world's best bar, the Connaught Hotel. The idea for the video trailer came from my conversations with a friend who directs movies. And so by diversifying the inputs I have into my environment and my mind, I'm able to really explore my creativity. Yeah, I love it. Super hacks. So the next part of the show, Simon, we call it hack to attack. <laughs> this is typically where it hasn't gone well. Now, you've had an incredible success journey, but there have probably been times, as all of us, where, you know, it's all gone wrong. And it's not worked out as we'd intended. So as a result of that, though, has it been a time where something's gone wrong and it's now serving you well? Definitely. I think the first example that came to my mind as you asked that question, Steve, was the beginning of my speaking journey. And you may recall the story, actually, uh, because I shared it in a chapter in my book. And it was when I got invited for my first paid speaking. 
I'd never done that before. I mean, I've done free talks before, but this was my first paid speaking. Yeah. And so I prepared rigorously for, uh, for the delivery. I had notes, I had bullet points on what I wanted to cover. And I, I, I made my way to the event, which was held in Canary Wharf in London. It was at the top of one of these skyscrapers. And 15 minutes before we were about to start, I checked in with the team. I said, are we all good? Uh, can they see my slides? Uh, does the tech work? And everything was okay. And then as I started to put my notes on the keyboard of my laptop so that I can reference them throughout the delivery, I noticed that in my rush out of my house, I brought with me the wrong set of notes, i.e. the wrong set of paper. And suddenly I, I, be, I, I was thinking, do I continue or do I stop? That kind of, it's one of those moments, isn't it? Where you're, where you're kind of like, well, I didn't expect this. Um, and so I had to really regroup myself. Uh, and and do, just for context, keep in mind, this wasn't like a TED talk that was only 20 minutes long. This was a 90-minute workshop. So this was a lengthy delivery. But I, I, I stayed there and I, and I followed through in delivering to the audience. And if there's anything I took from that experience, Steve, it's how to buy time when you need time to think about what you're going to say next. <laughs> yes, been there many times. And so I remember a point saying to the audience when I needed the space to think what was going to come next, because I, I didn't have my notes with me. I, I would say things such as, well, I'd like you to take a moment now to turn to the person to the left and right of you and share your thoughts to what I just asked. And I'll give them around five or six minutes or so. Uh, and I would use that time to think about what I'm going to say next or yeah. what was I meant to say next. And so that taught me how to speak when things don't always go your way, uh, but also to speak without notes. And I think that has served me well since then, Steve. Super example. So the last thing we get to do is give you the opportunity for a bit of time travel. <laughs> and you can bump into Simon at 21 and give him some words of wisdom. Now, what do you think that might be? So much to share, so much to tell, Steve. I think the the first thing that comes to mind, if I were to sit in front of that 21-year-old Simon, would be trust what your heart is telling you more than the approval of others. Because listening to your heart may not always get you to where you want to be, but it will always get you to where you need to be. Yeah. And it's far better spending your time doing that than it is seeking validation from people who don't really care about your success. It's an interesting use of phraseology as well, listening to your heart. Mm. Because actually people argue, you probably have people at the end of their devices now going, how do you listen to someone's heart? The irony <laughs> of what you've just described actually is listen to your energy. Metaphysicians mm. around the world will tell you that that's what's happening. It's the energy, right? Definitely, because that that's why I... I, I described in, in the second, I think it's the second or the third chapter, that the longest journey we make as humans are the inches from our heads to our hearts. Yeah. And the reason it's never an easy journey is because, as you say, Steve, it's really about listening to our body and our energy. And some of us got the opportunity to do that when the world was in lockdown. Because when you couldn't go outside, the only place you could go was inside. Yeah. And so as we reflected at a deep level about where we were in life, and whether we were doing the sort of work that brought fulfillment, it made many of us question what our next set of actions would be. Mm. And I think a lot of that did contribute to this, to this experience that is going on in America. And, and I'm pretty sure 
elsewhere in the world called the Great Resignation, because people are now awakening to the fact that maybe I should give what I really want to do a shot. Yeah. And we're seeing that everywhere in every walk of life, which is really fascinating too. So what's next for you then, Simon? What's on the cards? <laughs> so for me, I'm just enjoying as much as I can now, Steve, the, uh, uh, the, the book being out in the world, seeing it in people's hands. Uh, I'm due to speak in India next, next month, next month being June. Uh, so doing a free city tour and then Dubai in September. Uh, and I'm going to start thinking about book number two because I'm already – flush with lots of ideas on the back of this book uh, and so enjoying this for the moment steve and then i'll uh, i'll slowly see what's next fantastic sounds like episode number two for you <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed so simon where can our listeners get a copy of energize and tap into the great resources that you're putting out to the world right now sure so to learn more about the, about the book and purchase a copy uh, you can head to get that is energize with a z and if you would like to connect with me or ask any questions on the back of this conversation, then you can find me on all social media platforms. Uh, but the two that I use the most are LinkedIn and Instagram, in which my handle is at Simon Alexander O. Simon, thank you ever so much for coming and joining us on the show. I am pretty certain that there is a massive opportunity around the corner for you. You are putting great energy out there and I'm certainly benefiting from it personally. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming on the show and being part of our community. Steve, thank you so much and very grateful to have been invited onto your show. Thanks, Simon. I want to sign off by saying a thank you to you for joining us on the show too. We recognize without you, there is no show. So please continue to share, subscribe and like and continue to get in touch with us with the great news stories that we share every week. And so that we can continue to bring you great stories, please make sure you give us a five-star review where you can and share this podcast with your friends, your teams, and your communities. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Leadership Hacker, Leadership Hacker on YouTube, and on Instagram, the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And if that wasn't enough, you can also find us on our website, leadership-hacker.com. Tune in to next episode to find out what great hacks and stories are coming your way. That's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been your Leadership Hacker. <laughs>